the blue roll into gray Now in the dark alone I lay Should have stopped but I could never ever stay Somewhere in the night Inside my dreams you burn so bright And I Let me love you there Somewhere in the night Second chances I won't get Wouldn't dare to hold And yet Everywhere I turn I see Silhouette Been so long But I never will Forget Somewhere in the night Inside my dreams You burn so bright And I'm with you there And everything's Alright Somewhere in the night Before the darkness Turns to and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Here with another bonus show, we have... Zoe Dean. Leslie Wentzel. And I'm Hayden McQueenie. And don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? (laughs) Today we're talking about Piano Man, a season three episode. And uh, let's just say, I don't think this episode's going to go for very long because... My mother always taught me, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. So, <laughs> so I really hope that uh, you lovely ladies have something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we might. How about some initial impressions, uh, Zoe? Um, well, personally, I really liked this episode. I know I'm, I'm a little weird, but that's okay. Um, I liked... I, I'm 
a musician, so I love it when there's a lot of music involved, and I liked that Sam was playing a musician this time, and that we got to see him play the piano and sing, and then there was the exciting storyline off to the side where he was trying to save this girl's life, and it kept moving for me. I thought that it was very cute, and I liked the camaraderie between Sam and the female character in the episode. And I also thought that Al was very entertaining in this episode as well. Okay. Um, I guess that makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> I I do love the music in it. I, I have to agree to a certain extent, but I've also heard the first half of the podcast and I can't say that I disagree with everything, the points of contention that were brought up Kind of breaks my heart, though, that parts of it take place in Taos because that's where that's where Dean lived for quite a while. <laughs> so so whenever I revisit the episode now, I'm like, hmm, puppy quiver. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I do enjoy the musical aspect of it. Yeah. OK, well, first off, I just want to make it clear that while I'm not particularly a fan of Piano Man, it is good that. I can say that every single episode of Quantum Leap, including Piano Man, does always have something good going for it. Now, it's pretty obvious that this is the worst episode of Season 3, and it's one of the worst in the whole series, but it does just end up on the side of bearable, as opposed to unbearable, because of a few good aspects. So, starting with the good, um, as both of you uh, said, the music really does help in this episode a lot. As always, it's a pleasure hearing Scott Bakula sing. I really do like the song Somewhere in the Night. Uh, and also he and Marietta de Prima uh, had some really great harmonies when they were singing Somewhere in the Night and also when they were singing Footloose. So I'll admit the music was a lot of fun. That's one thing that I really did enjoy. Now, the character of Lorraine, very two-dimensional at best, and not really any defining characteristics other than the fact that she's accident-prone, but at least Marietta de Prima portrayed her with enough emotion so that you at least felt for her at times. And she was occasionally funny. I, like, I, I laugh out loud every time I hear her explanation of her past boyfriends dying in the bizarre circumstances. <laughs> oh, come on now, that wasn't my fault! <laughs> How was I supposed to know he was going to jump off the bleachers to get that baseball? <laughs> <laughs> Those were some kind of weird circumstances. Yeah, you can lose yeah. perspective when uh, lo looking into a camera lens. I, totally, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Something else I liked was the car chase. Um, that was quite exciting. And uh, I did like seeing the stalker get his uh, comeuppance. It's actually not surprising that one of the better aspects of the show was the car chase scene, considering it was actually filmed for something else. <laughs> the other thing that I liked was just how unexpected the car bomb at the beginning of the episode was. Definitely a plus to have something at least shock you or to just make you think, okay, what's going on here? Why didn't they get any information earlier? I mean, I know they kind of explained that he changed his name and everything. So it did kind of make sense that they couldn't get any prior knowledge of this. All in all, though, uh, this episode just felt like a Roadrunner cartoon. 
after a while, all I could think was, uh, how is this next plan going to spectacularly fail? And I mean, that's fine. Or at least it would be fine if the constant failure was at least funny. But most of the time it wasn't. And even in terms of the massive body count that was ticked up in this episode, so by my count, I think it was four people dying to save one or possibly two people who died originally. I think to have a massive body count and all this failure amount to something, there needs to be a cartoony essence to it as well. Like, death is always funnier when it's off screen or when you're or when it's some weird circumstance and i mean they did try like when lorraine was lamenting the deaths that happened in their place from the car bombing like saying oh well the woman was mean but, <laughs> yep. uh, it, it, it just really felt like they they were trying but they just kept failing mm. something i did pick up though there was a small goof and i guarantee both of you will have missed this in Polly's diner, when Sam's calling the sheriff, the payphone that's on the wall is reflective, and Scott Bakula reflects in it. Only very, very briefly. I did happen to catch that. You did catch that? Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, it's extremely brief, and it's easy to miss, but it's there. So, for our listeners who are probably getting very depressed hearing us crap all over the episode, at least uh, <laughs> there's, there's a reason to go back. The fact that I found this is reflective, and yes, the pun is intended, uh, just how (laughs) bored I was watching this episode, Um, just seeing if I could find anything extra to talk about. So let's just say there's not any subtext to analyse in this episode (laughs) at all. I I can't say having being fortunate enough to have caught the series when it originally aired on NBC... Can't say that I saw that, but owning the DVDs, it's easier to go back, and especially since they're HD. Oh yeah, and it, mm. it's not the it's not the first time that this kind of flub has been caught on camera. Yeah, I've noticed it several other times too. Look, it's good that we have the chance to go back and geek out over all our favorite things. It's just a case that this one is definitely not our favorite. Mm. All right, now I don't actually know if I agree with some of the time travel logic that was utilised in this episode. I mean, like I said, I was looking for anything for us to talk about in this this show. Um, So I was looking for goofs. I was looking for anything time travel-y, sci-fi-ish that we could talk about. Wibbly-wobbly, (laughs) timey-wimey. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Sorry, I had to, I had to. I'll give an example from the series that actually kind of made sense. In A Leap for Lisa, Sam inadvertently prevents Lisa from providing Al's alibi for the murder he was accused of, and so Al ends up on trial. As events unfold, Ziggy calculates a probability of Al being convicted, and while it's highly likely that the conviction will occur, Al is still there because of the chance of acquittal. It's actually not until the probability of conviction and sentencing to death reaches 100% that Al actually is erased from history. So this suggests that the original course of events stays in place until there isn't any more possibility that it could remain in place. Or, if you like a simpler way to say it, nothing changes until Sam actually changes it. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Just to remind everyone what goes on in this episode, if you really want to hear what happens again. (laughs) Um, Initially, Sam's host died in the car bombing. 
Sam prevented this and changed history, but now somehow Al can tell Sam exactly when he and Lorraine will die as history seems to be changing instantaneously. But Al really shouldn't be able to do that as everything Sam does is variable. So it can't actually be stated what will happen as he hasn't actually done it to change it yet. Are you following my logic here? Mm-hmm. I, I do follow it, but doesn't it stand to reason since he already prevented, even though it was kind of unwittingly, just by letting someone else take Chuck's car, since he did change history, doesn't that already set the other probable Timeline? course that history is going to take into effect? Yeah, but like you said, it's the probable courses. Like, I mean, Sam could choose to drive off in one direction he could choose to drive off in a different one he could choose to drive off in a third one still so given that everything that sam could do is a variable how is it possible that ziggy can say straight away where they're going to die next my kind of resolution to this in my head is that because they're driving on the highway and there's pretty much only one way they can go as they're going it's pretty much the only place they can go and so the probabilities must be shooting up so high so quickly that Ziggy's able to pick up on it. It just seems to be that Ziggy's always keeping track of the probability of events happening. So I would guess that it's getting so high Ziggy's just making the conclusion that this is going to happen. It is telling Al warn them straight away. But I just don't like the idea that they're able to pick straight away what's going to happen for the new timeline because it's not going to happen until Sam does something to make it happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, now that now that you say that, that makes a lot more sense, what, what you're saying. Because the fact that they're able to pick up on it instantaneously doesn't make sense in the fact that time in itself is fluid. And every single movement that we make in life, every choice, every decision, every direction that we turn decides what will happen within the next moment, and we can never figure out exactly what's going to happen as we're traveling through it, because it's like we're swimming in a great big ocean. We don't know if we're going to meet a shark or an octopus. We don't know how many feet we're swimming in, that kind of thing. So for Ziggy to be able to pick right up on the ultimate, oh, you're going to die now, it, it, it doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, well, look, my my only thoughts must be that being on the highway, there's only one way they can go, and so that's just getting rid of all the other possibilities straight away. And similarly, since they spend so much time at the diner, the longer they spend there, the less chance they've got to escape, so the chances must be shooting up for their death at a huge rate as well. So, look, I, I guess it does in one way make sense that Ziggy would be able to pick up on it, but I don't like their statement of it's certain that it's going to happen unless you do something now this is just the the time travel geek coming out in me but like i said i was searching for anything for us to talk about (laughs) okay so we've we've talked a little bit about the good we've talked a little bit about the bad let's get into the ugly oh boy (laughs) my biggest criticism is just how easy it is to pick the culprit I mean, if only two people knew where Sam and Lorraine were at any time, obviously Sam and Lorraine, it has to be one of them leaking the information. And they didn't even attempt to hide it or make it a mystery that Lorraine was the one spilling the beans. They don't even attempt to hide it. She's always on the phone to her boyfriend, and if she's the one spilling the beans, then he must be the culprit, or he at least must be 
spreading the word to the actual killer. I tend to judge how good a TV show or movie is depending on whether or not I can predict what's going to happen. I want to be entertained by something other than my own imagination. I mean, as Homer Simpson says, No, when I get bored, I just end up making my own movie. So wait, I'm confused. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is such a good impression. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, it, let's just say this episode failed miserably on that count. Yeah, can't deny that. Maybe, maybe it's maybe I'm too sympathetic to the whole production side of things because my response is always going to always kind of returning to the leap back convention where Deborah Pratt actually took the audience through the whole production process from start to finish, and midway through it, she literally lost count on what day she was on. <laughs> and that's I know yeah. in some. In some ways, I know that's kind of a piss poor excuse, but I can't help it because I keep going back to that. And the way they film the episode, they seem to kind of intentionally leave Al out of the parts where Lorraine was calling Carl and Sam out of the. He wasn't paying attention to when how how often Lorraine was calling Carl. But yeah, you can't deny that it's a major fail in the story's plot line. Yeah, I do kind of like their explanation of why Ziggy's completely useless in this episode, and they they kind of say that Lorraine is just so mental that they can't lock onto her brain waves. So I do kind of like their explanation there, and we do see in a a future episode that's coming up quite soon that the mental state of people does affect what you can and can't see and what you can and can't lock on to so i do like they kind of foreshadowed an awesome episode that way extremely <laughs> awesome episode yeah but look it just seemed like they were clutching at straws to try and find any reason of why they can make another fail in this episode i mean it was like wily coyote trying to catch the road runner and he's bought some new thing from acme like you know that it's gonna fail somehow you know that he's going to you know, get blown up or fall off a cliff or you know that somehow, you know, his Superman outfit isn't going to be super or something like that. You just know that it's going to fail. That's like a major fail brand for Acme, too. <laughs> you know, every single every single thing that he buys from Acme doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. At some point, but- you would have figured Wiley why, why might sue the company or try to get his money back at some point. <laughs> but there's the no trying, trying to throw line. logic into a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't understand why Acme just doesn't sue Looney Tunes or Warner Bros. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the sales actually increased from <laughs> from them being <sighs> so prominent in uh, the Wiley Coyote cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, here in Australia, our king of television from about the 50s and 60s was Graham Kennedy. And uh, this was at the time of live TV and all the commercials would be live as well. And the way he'd sell all the products is just to tell everyone how bad they were. And he would hang so much (laughs) shit on them during the the commercials and the sales would just go straight through the roof. (laughs) Mr. Scrabbo! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just like Mr. Scrabbo, yeah. I also kind of find it funny that we're getting on to this cartoony theme because guess what our theme for the episode is? Ooh. Cartoon? Let me faint. Shock. Why what, Hayden? What could it possibly be? We're going to be doing a theme for cartoons. Quantum Leap cartoons Ooh. and cartoons where our 
main men happen to feature. So while we're on that high note, let's just get Piano Man out of our minds. Any final verdicts that we want to pass before we pass sentencing? I would love to create controversy by saying, no, this is an awesome episode. No, no, you don't know. But, you know, I loved it when I saw it. And I can't disagree with the points of contention that have been brought up by everybody who's reviewed it so far. I'm kind of nervous to bring up this point because I don't want Chris to hate me. <laughs> but uh, but um, I uh, don't worry. Chris time. criticizes us, so it's all good. <laughs> um, <laughs> the running objection he has in the series is the stereotypical light that um, the Italian bad guy is portrayed in. The first was an obvious nod to Married to the Mob and Double Identity. And I just can't see it as insulting because the creator, Don Belisario, is Italian. Dean is part mm. Italian, and he he was part of the main cast from the first to the last episode. So I, I don't think that Don would intentionally paint his, his own ethnicity in a bad light. It was just for the purposes of telling the story. That's the only time I kind of object a tad but I love him well, still. <laughs> well, well, you're right about what you know, don't you? So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That's another thing too. Like, I it doesn't it didn't bother me about the um the light that the Italian bad guy was painted in. First of all, I didn't even know he's Italian. <laughs> okay. Second of all, I'm Italian, and you know that. <laughs> It, it just went right over my head. I, I Normally, I see something like that, and I don't automatically go, well, I take it back. As of late, since I found out that I'm predominantly Italian, I'm noticing Italian things more than I was before I knew that I was predominantly Italian. But this episode still, it wasn't like, oh, that guy's Italian, you know, and he's put in the, the, the funny light, you know, and he's the bad guy. It, it didn't bother me. Maybe I'm weird, but I... I agree with Leslie. Like, I don't think that Don Belisario was doing it in a way that he meant it to be offensive. I think it's just a write what you know thing and do what works, you know? For sure. And I think it's a case of if you're looking to find things that you're going to be offended by, then you're going to be offended by them. But if you just, you know, take things at face value as I'm sure it was intended at the time, at least when they were writing this show. I don't believe that any offence was intended. Having said that, like a personal thing for me, we've recently found out through some DNA testing that I'm part Aboriginal. There's a lot of bad stereotypes about Aboriginals here in Australia, and I always believed them, and no problem with saying the sort of stereotypical jokes that you would normally say about different groups, but... uh, you know, learning that you've got a new heritage, you want to learn a little bit more about it, and you end up seeing things from their perspectives a bit more. I do think that unless you know about what particular groups of people have been through in the past, you're not likely to pick up on it. But having said that, I don't believe that anyone at the time was really setting out to offend anyone. I agree. I agree. Which is not to say, you know, I mean, Chris has a right to express how he feels about it so that's why i was kind of nervous to bring it up and then i talked to you and you kind of 
he kind of uh, reassured me a little bit. I'm a bad influence, people. Oh, you're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Naughty, naughty boy. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a bit stereotypical Italian there, Amanda. Zoe, whatever you want to be called now. I was doing an impression of John Lennon from A Hard Day's Night, so shoot me. Has <laughs> <laughs> anybody seen that right. in a while? How did, how did that get translated to Italian? It sounded Italian. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that was the accent that John was using? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right, I think... In A Hard um, Day's Night, you hear him saying, you naughty boy. <laughs> so... <laughs> See, that was a bit more Dracula. <laughs> I find it hard to believe you're a voice actor, Zoe. Wow. I'm joking. All right, I think we're all sufficiently offended now, so it might be a good opportunity for us to take a break. While I slap you, silly. But when we return, we're going to do the Dean's List. So, Zoe, uh, what cartoons do you know Dean Stockwell has lent his voice to? Oh, um, Captain Planet being one. Who did he play in Captain Planet? Duke Nukem, of course. (laughs) Well, this is just for the benefit of our listeners who might not remember or know. Yes. Um, He was in the Batman movie, and I... I forget the name of the character that he played. Ha! Huh, Leslie, help! This is actually one of my favorite things that Dean has done. Uh, it's Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, which continues ah. somewhere in the future from where the Batman the animated series. Batman's older, and he has a younger apprentice. And Dean, brilliant casting idea by Warner Brothers, plays the older, former Robin known as... Tim Drake. And to have a former child actor play a disgruntled ex-Robin, brilliant. And he kind of uses his personal disdain for that part of his life absolutely perfectly. If anybody hasn't seen that, watch it. It is awesome. Yep. I'm going to get onto that. So obviously our Dean's List will be about Dean in cartoons. So stick around and you might learn something. I still hear the shot, still see his dead smile. Every night the dreams get stronger. He's there when I sleep, whispering, laughing, telling me I'm just as bad as he is. We're both the same. I'm calling an ambulance. No, I'm all right. Forgive me, Terry. Old nasty memories twisting inside me like bad oysters. Nothing, really. I'm perfectly fine now. How do you know my name? There's nothing about you I don't know, bat fake. Terry! Have a time out, kid. Can't let you spoil the party too soon. And Bruce, I'm sure you've got your monkey boy wired somehow. That's just peachy, because I want you to see every minute of this. It's a killer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
never get tired of that. Drake? You're the Joker? Yeah, uh, I bought a giant life-size slingshot from you, and it just slammed me into a mountain. Sorry, no returns. I've been a customer here for years. I can maybe give you a store credit, but... Uh, really? Well, I, I guess... Uh, What's the holdup in here? I'm taking care of it! Everybody cut loose, pull loose, kick out the Sunday Is there a durability factor uh, as an actor, especially what you're doing uh, now on your series? I haven't missed a day of work yet since we started the series. I did a show, uh, one whole episode with a dislocated foot. And we just rewrote this script and I, I fell at the beginning of that episode <laughs> and I limped uh, for a while. And the next episode I still wasn't well, so we shot me in the leg at the beginning. Um, but I, I, you know, you just have to keep going and, uh, it, it helps to be in shape, I think. This is Duke Nukem calling Dr. Blight. I'm approaching your laboratory. Get your mangy computer mal to open that secret passage. Quick! The blight! That computer of yours is a menace! Why must we put up with this nuclear nitwit? Mal, baby, you be polite. Dr. Nukem's here to help us be wicked. Keep your distance, Dr. Blight, or you'll fry like a strip of bacon from my radioactivity. No problem, sweetie. This designer-led suit will shield me from your deadly rays. You like it? Well... I'm all aglow. Now why'd you send for me? I'm starting my most devious experiment, and I need your help to catch the guinea pig. Captain Planet. What's in it for me? All the nuclear waste you can feed on, Duke. You certainly know how to treat royalty. But Captain Planet's no fool. How are we gonna capture him? We'll bait the trap with planeteers. I told you Mal was a genius. He's even sending a phony message to lure them into our clutches. <laughs> All right, we're back from our break. And Leslie, Zoe, and I will be discussing Captain Planet and the Planeteers for the Dean's List, in particular, Dean Stockwell's appearances in nine episodes. Leslie, what did you think of Dean Stockwell's portrayal of Duke Nukem, who was one of the most formidable foes to face the Planeteers? Hilariously over the top. But it sounded like he was having such a blast with it. I particularly liked his back-and-forth arguments with Mal, Dr. Blight's computer, because it seemed, I don't know if this was done purposely, but it kind of seemed like a little quantum leap nod since he's always smacking the hand link and... <laughs> and hurling uh, the occasional <laughs> insult at Ziggy. 
But what shocks me is when people talk about uh, Captain Planet, Dean is hardly ever mentioned. And I don't know if IMDb got it wrong that he was in 10 episodes. Because I'd like to think that they mislabeled one of them and that he actually was in 10. But the Deadly Glow does not sound like Dean at all. I actually had a look at the credits in that episode, and Dean is not listed as one of the eco-villains in that particular episode. So I think that that one was definitely mislabeled in IMDb. I don't know if you noticed, but when the other guy, whose name I can't remember, voiced Duke Nukem, his eyes were colored differently. They were almost given a gambit feel where the whites are black, and instead of his irises being red, they were yellow. Okay. Uh, I actually had to notice that, but I didn't really search that far past the Dean Stockwell episode. <laughs> yeah, I had to watch the Deadly Glow and another episode that Dean's not credited in. Uh, if it's Doomsday, this must be Belfast, just to see if they actually did get it wrong. And, and they, that's not our Dean. Uh, kudos to the caster for trying to get somebody who sounded similar, but nobody sounds like our Dean. Yeah, I actually think, if I remember correctly, the man who played Duke Nukem after Dean played quite a few different characters in Captain Planet, so he must have just been one of those voice actors who could take on a lot of different impressions. It's a star-studded cast, too. Oh, oh yeah. so many big na- so many big names in Captain Planet. I mean, just to name a few, Whoopi Goldberg, she played Gaia, the Spirit of the Earth, for the first two seasons. Meg Ryan was Dr. Blight in the first two seasons. Did you recognise who played Mal, Leslie? I forget who played Mal. I had it jotted down here somewhere, but I don't... Rock hair. You're going to say it. Say it again? Rock hair. It's Tim Curry. Oh, of course. Oh, gosh. <laughs> love, I love Tim Curry. Yeah. And Sting. Sting was also in it. He played probably the most dangerous eco-villain of all. He was Zam. That was uh, Gaia's evil counterpart. And don't forget LeVar Burton, who played Kwame, and Alan Oppenheimer, who was Dr. Borzon. Yep. And I'm pretty sure Neil Patrick Harris, who was also in Quantum Leap for an episode, he was in an episode as well. It was actually quite a controversial episode from what I remember, because it was one that was all about AIDS. Quantum Leap wanted to do an episode about AIDS, but Captain Planet got there first. <laughs> Unbelievable. Captain Planner was definitely not opposed to trying to bring some big issues out. And I I just love the lasting message that it has to try and make young people who are going to inherit the Earth realize that they do have a responsibility to think about the future, to ensure that there actually is a future, and to try and be a part of the solutions to the world's biggest problems. Yeah. I also want to mention that Elizabeth Taylor was also in that episode with Neil Patrick Harris, so they had a another star-studded cast for that one as well. They're also joined by Danica McKellar. She was Neil Patrick Harris's mum in that episode, wasn't she? Yes. Elizabeth Taylor was uh, was his mum. Mm-hmm. And I think Lisa was his sister? How do you think Captain Planet holds up 20, 30-plus years later? Well, I haven't watched it enough to be able to give you a super good idea about that. I just remember when I watched it, which this was a long time ago that I saw it. I haven't watched it recently. But the times that I saw it, I thought that it was definitely 
time stamped in the 90s. It felt very 90s to me. I don't know if it really still holds up today from the episodes that I saw. I haven't seen all of the episodes yet. However, that episode with Neil Patrick Harris does translate into today, and I'm sure other episodes probably did as well. I've seen them more recently, and I think that they do hold up. You are correct that the animation itself looks very 90s, but the issues that they tackle, still very, very prominent today, probably even more so because I think that the world's condition probably has deteriorated quite a lot in that 20-plus years. So I think that there's definitely a platform for it to come back. If we just think about some of the issues in Dean Stockwell's episodes that they tackled, just to remind all our listeners, Dean Stockwell played Duke Nukem, who was a mutant with the ability to fire powerful blasts of radiation from his fingers. Uh, His main goals were usually to attempt to cause nuclear disasters or to damage the Earth's ozone layer so that he could add to the Earth's radiation levels to make the environment more fitting to his own condition, or to absorb or consume radiation to add to his power levels, or to attempt to mutate other people. Some of the things that he did in Deadly Ransom, he teams up with Dr. Blight and Mal to kidnap Captain Planet and hold him hostage with radioactive waste as the ransom. First of all, radioactive waste is a big problem that they could still definitely tackle. In Japan, there's still radiation from that meltdown that was a few years ago. There's still radiation leaking into the oceans. And also hostage situations, whether or not you should negotiate with terrorists. And the answer is definitely not. In Meltdown Syndrome, Duke Nukem discovers a radiation leak in a nuclear power plant. So he takes it over and tries to cause a meltdown. So again... Definitely dangers of nuclear energy. If it's done right, nuclear energy is very, very clean, but it's also extremely dangerous. So definitely have to try and make sure everything is done properly. In Ozone Hole, Duke Nukem sets up factories in Antarctica to build and then destroy refrigerators and air conditioners to send CFCs into the atmosphere to expand the hole in the ozone layer. I think that one might be a little bit dated because I'm pretty sure that the amount of CFCs in lots of different products, most of them are CFC free now, which is good. So hopefully that had a good effect. Now, my favorite is Mission to Save Earth, which is when Dr. Blight uses her invention to create evil copies of the Planeteer's rings and distributes them to the eco-villains. Duke Nukem is the one who gets to call upon Captain Pollution when they decide to make their powers combine. The Planeteers use their rings to create Captain Planet. If we combine the polluting powers of our rings, what would we create? Hopefully havoc, but let's find out. Then let our polluting powers combine! Super radiation! Deforestation! Smog! Hatches! Hey! And your polluting powers combined! I am Captain Pollution! <laughs> and that's a two, one of two two-parters. Yeah, so that one was my favourite. In Isle of Solar Energy, a new solar beam has been created, which is capable of powering anything. So, of course, Duke Nukem wants to use it to increase his own power levels and create a death ray. 
Lovely person. Yeah. So again, just shows how dangerous anything, even the cleanest possible power source, can be if harnessed incorrectly. So it just shows that you've got to try and do everything humanely and ethically and with every safety precaution that's necessary. The last two that he was in that we could find uh, were Summit to Save Earth. And this was actually about the real 1992 Earth Summit. And in this episode, the eco-villains join forces, this time under the command of Zarm, who was played by Sting. Zarm is able to shapeshift, so their plan is to kidnap the delegates and then have the eco-villains take on their appearance and take over the summit to spread anti-conservationist messages. And this leads to the planet's destruction. They actually travel 10 years in the future and find some horrible, horrible things have taken place. So yeah, I think there are some definite lasting messages even in the episodes that Dean Stockwell is in. Obviously, the 1992 one (laughs) dates it quite a lot, but we still have the Earth summits and they're every bit as important as it was back then. Radiant Amazon was technically his last episode with the Matisse village being in danger. Is that the one? Oh, I missed that one. Yeah, you you are right. Radiant Amazon is in there too. So in Radiant Amazon, Duke Nukem and Sly Sludge take over Matisse village in South America. And they set it alight on fire. And I can't remember what Duke Nukem was trying to do in that one, actually. It must have been something radiation-related, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> he wanted to go for a swim, <laughs> which I, I love when he does that, because there's a scene when when he pops up again. I, I can't remember if it was in Radiant Amazon or if it was in uh, Meltdown Syndrome. I think it was Radiant Amazon where he pops up and the sunglasses he's wearing start to melt off his face. <laughs> I was going to say, I loved in Meltdown Syndrome, him taking a shower in the radiation leaks. That was hilarious as well. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. He had to love that. I mean, um, environmental environmental conservation is, uh, is a subject that's near and dear to Dean's heart. So he must have had an absolute blast recording voice for for Duke Nukem. It's a real shame that they... Um, did replace a lot of the big names in season three and onwards because, I mean, it's pretty obvious that with such a powerful overall message of conservationism that that's obviously, I think, in well, in my mind anyway, what would make so many big names want to be a part of this campy children's show. <laughs> but also this was at the same time that Dean was actually in Quantum Leap. So it makes me wonder, because Dean was so heavily involved in trying to get some environmentalist messages into Quantum Leap, is that what kind of made the creators of Captain Planet think, oh, Dean might be interested in this and ask him, do you want to have a voice in in Captain Planet? I'd like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I do love when we... we can at least recreate history for our own uh, our own gains. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's what we'll say happened. We'll never know otherwise. Sure, so sure. that's just what we'll say. <laughs> we'll just say it because it makes us happy, and it's our show. So why not? <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. go along with that. Yeah. So overall, Captain Planet and Dean Stockwell and Captain Planet definitely. So many puns were made. <laughs> yes. 
I think if we took a shot every time Duke Nukem made a radiation pun, um, we would all end up... (laughs) Hammered. We would all end up dead. (laughs) With alcohol poisoning, or every time that he said Leadsuit's name incorrectly. Yeah. But overall, does Captain Planet hold up? I, I think the message definitely holds up. The animation, again, yeah, it definitely had that uh, 90s, like... Super neon, sparkly... Cheese to it. And um, it seemed like they weren't able to animate emotions very well. So that's why all of the voice performances were so over the top. I think if it were... I think if it were done today, it would definitely... The animation would be a lot better, but I don't want to see that because I have a hard time seeing anything involving Dean where someone steps into his place. I have a big problem with that. I do, too. It's just not the same. Yeah. I think it must have just been money related, to be honest, because if you have a look, when they go into season three... If you look at the list of eco-villains, it took up a whole page to start with, and they were huge names, and then it's just shrunk down to maybe a quarter of the page. So I think it must have just cost so much to have so many big names on the show that they thought it must not have been sustainable. Not only that, but a lot of those people, because they were big names and because of the, the, the time that it was, the majority of those people who were in the main cast ended up being cast in very large projects during that time. LeVar Burton was in Star Trek The Next Generation. Dean was in Quantum Leap. Meg Ryan was in several movies during that year. You know, there were lots of people who were constantly being signed for other projects while they were on this project. And I can guarantee you, cartoons probably don't pay as much as live action so I'm sure that they were probably like, ooh, there's more money in this project. Bye. <laughs> you yeah, know, that that makes sense as well. But uh, oh, I was so disappointed with the replacement of Meg Ryan as well, because every time she goes, Mal, baby, oh, I just melt. Mal, baby. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and that, there was really inconsistent about some of the villains having to protect themselves around Duke Nukem. I kind of noticed that, too. It was like, wait a minute, why aren't you? Why aren't you wearing a suit? <laughs> and, and he 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 was one of the few eco villains who could actually render Captain Planet powerless. Yeah, I was going to say he's one of only three eco villains who actually could take on Captain Planet personally. The others being Captain Pollution, who was Captain Planet's evil counterpart, and Zam, who was Gaia's evil counterpart. So, as in terms of power levels for the eco villains, he was definitely right up there. And I remember too, because I watched Captain Planet in my childhood. I was very, very young when it was on. Duke Nukem scared the daylights out of me. (laughs) So I think, uh, I I really think Dean did his job. So overall, it's definitely worth checking out uh, Dean Stockwell in Captain Planet. He was in nine episodes that we could find. It does say on IMDb that he's in 10, but the last one is definitely not him. We don't know if that's just, they've put the wrong episode up and there's one that we've missed. We'll keep looking, but we definitely know he was in nine episodes. They were Deadly Ransom, Meltdown Syndrome, Ozone Hole, Mission to Save Earth Parts 1 and 2, Isle of Solar Energy, Summit to Save Earth Parts 1 and 2, and Radiant Amazon. So they're all definitely worth checking out just to see Dean Stockwell having such an amazing time be completely over the top. 
And of course, there's always the very lasting environmentalist messages of the show as well. Absolutely. And if somebody listening does happen to find out that 10th episode, please let us know because I want to know what it is if it exists. Yes, absolutely. Combined, I am Captain Planet. Captain Planet, he's a hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. He's our powers magnified, and he's fighting on the planet side. Captain Planet, he's a hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. Gonna help him put asunder bad guys who like to. You can be one too, cause saving our planet is the thing to do. Looting and polluting is not the way. Hear what Captain Planet has to say. The power is yours. Acting is the world's second oldest profession. Hey guys, I got homework. Yes, Hayden, ever the teacher, gave me homework to look into voice acting. And I thought, hey, what better way and what better excuse to pop up, not warm up, sounding like this at the moment. Hmm. This way, I can just do a couple of exercises which help me. Also, I know it was really funny that Hayden seemed to think that I should look into a special case where the actor becomes the character. But my dear Hayden, the actor always is the character. Even the method he wants. Especially the method he wants. And yes, that was a modified Garrett quote. <laughs> well, it goes further because what we do in, in naturalism, method, whatever you want to call it, is you actually find the character in yourself. So you, you do your modifications, you do your preparation, and you you don't think you're doing a scene, you don't think you're anybody else. I mean, you look back and forth like, hey, yeah, that was different. I was that character. I looked different now. Talk differently, I carried myself differently, but while you are doing that, it's just you, you know? Plain old me dealing with this right now. Actually, maybe I, I should do some acting. Yeah, well, that is <laughs> that's when it happens. And there's something more I want to tell you about later, which is actually quite, quite meaningful. But first, a little bit of technical stuff. Now, voice work. It's uh, voice acting pretty much encompasses all acting. In most cases, you know, you will have to say something or, or make some noise or whatever. That, that, that can be difficult. In particular, when you're a little bit worried about it. Hmm, hint, hint. But for now, to keep a scope down, as you start looking at a few cases when you find yourself all alone. And there goes the opportunity to work off somebody else's energy. You know this sacred, important thing? Having somebody there... Hello? Is there anybody out there? <clears throat> That's where we are. Regarding voice exercises, form-ups, and so on, now really, you can absolutely make a study out of this kind of thing, and people have made a study out of this. I mean, you can look at physical alignment, you can look at all kinds of resonators, you can look at all kinds of techniques of what you do with your mouth and your tongue and all this stuff. You know, where you're tense, where you're not tense. Oh my god, exercises are plenty, hundreds of... Thousands, I kid you not, guys. But you need to find what works for you. If you want to learn any more, want to look into any more, there are actually a lot of people 
who can who can help you out and look at the absolutely brilliant movie The King's Speech. You can leave the guys here a message if you like and say, Hey, Jesse, send us a few exercises every now and then, okay? There are plenty of sources. So what can you do? Yawn. Yawn yawn. Yawning is not impolite. Actually really important people say it even increases your intelligence, so I gotta keep at it. Uh, and you know what? I'm just gonna spill the beans here right now. What helped me out like crazy is a concept, one teacher opening this up to me, is voice is breath and breath is movement. So you move a bit, you know? See if you can find a l- yawn somewhere in your, in your wrist or so. In your neck? Somewhere in your knee? Maybe. Rest, right, relax. Now, movement. It seems ridiculous, but it's all connected. Whatever physical exercise you want to do, go for a little run first. What works for you? Some yoga. I know. <laughs> I got a couple of push-ups. Yes, I'm actually doing some pretty shaky ones right now. <clears throat> there you go. That might be a little bit better. Hmm. Look what's coming up here. Some sirens. Mm-hmm. The voice warm-up for singing stuff is very useful for this. No, I can't sing. I could have did my exercises, I guess. Anyway, here you go. A little bit of chewing. Chew on really, really, really big chewing gum. In there? I think I need some of these. No stretching there, you can relax facial muscles. There you go, this is a lot more, um, a lot more. Um, connecting in with your body, actually, that's also very important. So what if you can do any yoga, you can look at all the centers there. Plenty, absolutely. Stuff like this, um, I could probably use a few more, but I think we're at a point where you can hear me, understand me well enough. It's, it's not just physical, technical. I mean, the mind has to move this as well. So especially if you're going to act. I mean, right now I am in this space and I'm going to be in this space because that's where I'm doing my segment from. But let's say I got a part on My Little Pony and I'm going to be in Princess Celestia's castle. So that's different. Yeah. Need my five senses. What does it look like? Well, I think I'm in a room with all the mirrors. Okay. All the mirrors. What does it smell like here? Any taste in my mouth? Had something yummy to eat recently. Hmm. Yep. Sensations on my body. Temperature. Being a pony. What does my fur look like? So feel like at the moment. Mm-hmm. Hearing. Hearing. As birds outside? I haven't dealt with birds outside right now. <laughs> Get your body feedback. Find alignment if it means something to you. And that really helps because then you can actually just be there a lot. Top tip. <laughs> Some kind of fire breath in for the mouth, out for the nose, something like this. A few of these, and <laughs> you should be feeling much better. All right, who are you talking to? Because this is where you're very easily, even when you think, hey, I'm really acting here, this is where you very, very easily go into narrator mode. So, you out there, <laughs> that's a combination from imaginary people, real people. 
So I like making a new person, but you can also imagine one. And sometimes I'm imagining someone I know. Yes, that could work. Okay, so am I sounding any different? There's a really good trick how to use that in the scene, by the way. Using your prep to talk to someone else. Oh, it just shifted. Hi there, new person. <laughs> Hi. Um, so we're looking at this right now, okay? Mm -hmm. Shift it again. Don't judge what your brain is doing. It's really trying to help you. The voice work is just going to be a result of the rest of the work. I mean, this is one of the ways of your preparation and everything is going to come out, you know? Hmm. Well, here's the thing. Yes, yes, that's probably the most important part of what I need to talk to you about today is a reason why I was so scared to do this this particular one and I was trying to make excuses and maybe I should interview someone else or you know and so the whole voice thing for me it's 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 really personal it's um I just had a conversation yesterday I'm, I'm not the only one out there who's really so self-conscious if you need a personal expression of who you are and something that people judge you by you know that people measure you by that they used to um, no. Yeah. Does I'm just put you down with. Another stage instruction I usually got was Well, we can't hear you. Talk louder. We never got to anything else because that's that's the only thing that you know, it just went wrong. Because for me, this whole mumbling thing, and you caught me mumbling a couple of times, I'm sure. Mumbling, talking really fast. Not saying my letters right. It's a, it's a, that's my safe zone. It's simultaneously my safe zone and, and where I'm also more scared because if someone calls me out on that and it doesn't happen that much anymore and it's not so bad anymore, but I, I'm still, I'm still so terrified of anybody saying, Hey, um, oh, did you just do mumbling or I can't hear you or. Like, oh, you have an ugly voice. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, this kind of stuff. Now, even when you can break out of it, when you have technique and you can sound different ways, and some of you maybe even can do accents like champions and whatnot, you always be back in a stage where the habitual just gets you, especially when you're, you know, when you're getting scared or nervous or that kind of thing. I'm learning that recently that you can be both. It's, um, and also my breathing's different too, you know. I'm breathing in into my body a lot more. You can be terrified, so ashamed of not being good enough and terrified someone will you know hurt you for that. And at the same time, you can be so so confident because you just love doing what you're doing and you know you know you know you can bring something. The floating bridge between heaven and earth. A yin and yang thing. Be both simultaneously. It's possible. You can do it. You don't need to change who you are for somebody else's sake. You don't need to change how you sound for somebody else's sake. With the help of a couple of key insights. Really connected now movement here. Now moving a bit. Movement which I felt was mine. With voice which I felt was not mine. Your movement, your breath, your voice, it's you. It's yours. Sometimes you will be stuck. When you get back to it, don't panic. 
it can also be free. And it'll it'll wobble back and forth. Like like in the scene, you're in it, you're out of it. The best of us they can be in the good zone a lot longer. The rest of us we just stumble along. That's okay. It's a perfectly valid place to be. So see if you can find something that works for you if you're in the same boat. Or send some questions over. Totally good for that. And here's a very, very important epilogue I almost shook out of. This is what I really need to look at. If you're serious about doing the kind of acting that really reaches people. Performing is awesome. Making people laugh is awesome. And it's not mutually exclusive. You will do a form of performance. If you really want to have the result of touching other human beings emotionally, if you really want them to feel, especially those like me who occasionally have trouble feeling, occasionally need an, an actor to do some translation work there, so to speak, that really help me trying to crack the shell open, then it's so important to leave yourself vulnerable. You don't need to speak it out loud. You don't have to say, hey, this is where, you know, <laughs> it could really hurt my feelings. It's, it's just tough. You can do your preparation and it fuels your real feelings. Who you really are, what really gets you, that informs the character, what gets the character. That's their, that's their soul. You can make an artificial one. You only have yours. You want to reach it? You want to reach people? You want to create this beauty? You got to share the part of yourself. Keep safe what you need to keep safe. Your subconscious will always protect you. Let it, let it protect the parts you feel it will protect at all costs, because else you're just going to shut down in the middle of the scene. There's no point to that. So allow your watchdogs to guard very specific things, but the more <laughs> the more you lock that summer safe, unbreakable, untouchable, the more you'll find everything else will be fluid. You can let everything else go, much more anyway. You're not going to just say words or put on funny faces or whatever. You're going to reach. And this is a point in one way in which actors... Can we become healers? Seriously, that's, that's something worth looking into. Thanks, guys. Now we're going to go into Quantum Deep with Hayden. Well, actually, Leslie, it's not with Hayden today. We actually have some very special guests who are going to take Quantum Deep from us today. Oh, really? Yes, definitely. So um, I think you and I can go off and have a couple while we leave these massive stars to do their thing. In response to the numerous complaints received about the podcast not being family-friendly enough, the Quantum Deep podcast presents the Quantum Deep Cartoon Cavalcade. I'm your host, Stuart Gilligan Griffin, and together we'll take a journey to remember the many cartoons in which Quantum Deep has been referenced and parodied. And if anybody still has any issues, please make sure you write them down and I can think of quite another place for you to stick them rather than the post box. Oh, I'm so proud of my baby Stewie making his big radio deep butt. For our younger listeners, Quantum Leap was a television show that aired from 1989 to 1993. It followed the adventures of Dr. Samuel Beckett, played by Scott Bakula, a physicist who became trapped in the past 
following a botched time travel experiment. He would temporarily take over the life of someone in the past, and appear to everybody else as that person, even taking on their mirror image. I looked in the mirror this morning, and it, it was like I was looking at a man I'd never seen before. Hi, Scott Bakula. Sam was helped by his good friend Al, played by Dean Stockwell, who would appear as a hologram that only Sam and a select few others could see and hear. He would provide Sam with information about future events, which Sam would then use to put right what once went wrong. Hello, lover. Neil, what are you doing? I'm not your lover. I don't even like you. Meg, I strongly suggest you hold my hand, lest you look like a slut. Listen, you freak. Tell these people that there's nothing going on between us. Oh, don't be afraid of the fire, Meg. I won't let you burn. (laughs) Al, why haven't I leaped? Uh, Ziggy says you can't leap until she loves you back. Don't worry, I'll get her. Dewey, what's a hologram? A hologram is a three-dimensional visual replica of a source object, and can possibly be accompanied by sound. However, since it's only an image, it's unable to be touched. And a television show is what you watch on your laptop. As some of our long-time followers would know, I myself have dabbled in time travel from time to time. I actually learnt everything I know about time travel from watching Quantum Leap. We can't risk doing anything that alters the past. You know, I never got that. I mean, wouldn't you want to alter the past? I mean, you could make life better for yourself. And, and not just for yourself, for everyone. You, you could stop 9-11. Brian, there's one rule of time travel, and that is, do not alter the past in any way or the consequences could be dire. Yeah, where'd you hear that? Quantum Leap? That guy changed the past all the time. Okay, so maybe Quantum Leap didn't follow the so-called rules of time travel. But the show was so heartwarming and so unique in concept, being able to tell the story about issues from the past, from the point of view of someone living in present day, and much like any religion, it developed, and still has, quite a cult following. However, unlike any religion, Quantum Leap is still relevant to this day. Maybe religion could take a leaf out of Quantum Leap's Bible. Hi, my name's Peter. I'm a Jehovah's Witness here to spread the good news of the story of Jesus Christ. Okay, go ahead. Really? Wow. Um, boy, you're the uh, first person who didn't uh, slam the door on me. <laughs> uh, okay, um, well, uh, Jesus uh, was a miracle worker of sorts. Um, he would travel from place to place, putting things right that once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap would be the leap home. <laughs> What do you think you're doing with my wife? Oh, boy. Lewis, I have a surprise for you. It's in my diaper, and it's not a toaster. Did somebody say toaster? (laughs) Boys and girls, and everything in between, please welcome star of the big screen, as he can't fit on the small, Homer J. Simpson. And what does the J stand for? The J stands for J. Okay, then. And what brings you here today? Well, why not take a look for yourself? You know, Marge, I've had my share of troubles, but sitting here now with you and the kids in our cozy home in this beautiful free country, it just makes me feel that I'm really a lucky guy. Dad! Your hand is jammed in the toaster! What? Dad! 
This shouldn't be too hard to fix with the right tools. There, better than new. Now to take her for a test toast. And what the? Look at that! I'm the first non-Brazilian person to travel backwards through time. Correction, Homer. You're the second. That's right, Mr. Peabody. Quiet, you. <gasps> I've gone back to the time when dinosaurs weren't just confined to zoos. Okay, don't panic. Remember the advice your father gave you on your wedding day. If you ever travel back in time, don't step on anything, because even the tiniest change can alter the future in ways you can't imagine. Fine. As long as I stand perfectly still and don't touch anything, I won't destroy the future. Stupid bug! You go squish now! <gasps> but that was just one little insignificant mosquito. I can't change the future, right? Right? I'm back. Oh, my loving family. Nothing's changed. Finally <laughs> host, Laborinos. Oakley, Oakley. Hey, what the hell is that geek Flanders doing on TV? Oh, I see by the big board we got a negative Nelly in Sector 2. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask the whole family to kind of freeze and prepare for re-education. Don't you remember, Dad? Flanders is the unquestioned lord and master of the world. Don't! Okay, everybody, let's see some big smiles. Just relax and let the hooks do their work. What the hell are you smiling at? Oh. Now, in case all that smiling didn't cheer you up, there's one thing that never fails. A nice glass of warm milk, a little nap, and a total frontal lobotomy. It's not so bad, Homer. They go into your nose and they let you keep the piece of brain they cut out. Look. Ooh, hello. Hello there. Who's that big man there? Who's that? Join us, Father. It's Bliss. No! They're gaining on me. Wait, I have an idea. These wieners will give me the quick energy I need to escape. This time I'm not going to touch a thing. Mustn't crush, mustn't kill, made it! Oh, I wish, I wish I hadn't killed that fish.
Hey, where is everybody? Hey, there's a bug that looks like Dad. Let's kill it, okay? This is gonna cost me. Go! I mean, hey. Good morning, Father dear. Hope you're well. Are we taking the new Lexus to Aunt Patty and Selma's funeral today? Hmm, fabulous house, well-behaved kids, sisters-in-law dead, luxury sedan. Woohoo! I hit the jackpot! Marge, dear, would you kindly pass me a donut? Donut? What's a donut? Ah! 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 Oh, it's raining again. You're still not in your own world, Homer. I can get you home, but you have to do exactly as I... Ah! This is indeed a disturbing universe. Don't touch anything! I'll touch whatever I feel like! Foolish Earthling, totally unprepared for the effects of time travel. <laughs> <laughs> Kodos? Quiet, you. Good morning, dear. What's my name? What color is the sky? What of donuts? What? For the love of God, tell me! Homer, the sky is blue. Donuts are plentiful. Friday is TGIF night on ABC. What's gotten into you? Nothing. Nothing at all. Let's just eat. Eh, close enough. Tacos! Hot tacos here! Hey, are those tacos? You better believe they're tacos. No, I love tacos, especially on a corn tortilla. I love tacos on a corn tortilla. Thanks for dropping by, Homer. My pleasure. I've been told my face is perfect for radio. So, uh... Little help with my diaper? You know, Stewie, Chris told me about another cartoon, and I'm pretty sure they did some Quantum Leap references on it. Really? What show is that? Oh, that stop-motion cartoon he never stops raving about. Robot Chicken? <laughs> Stewie, you be nice to your brother. Oh, fine. Enjoy this skit from <laughs> Robot Chicken. Sorry, I couldn't say that with a straight face. Don't worry, Chris, I'm not laughing at Robot Chicken. I never have. I'm not going to start now. And now back to the Legends of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul Christmas special. Who? Who? Who is watching this program? Oh, man, Christmas gets all the animated specials. I wish someone would do one for the other holidays. 
That would be so cool! <sighs> so cool! Huh? Ah! <laughs> He's a maniac! Help! Oh, what? <laughs> what? Oh, boy. Sam, I just spend the entire day wallowing around in my own feces. A little service here. Well, hi, little fella. Be washed to drop your drawers for me? What the hell? I need my crevasse sanitized, and all you can do is send me this quantum creep? We now return to quantum creep. Is it? 1972. Cool. I'm gonna go show my penis to some kids. Mom. 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 Mommy. 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 Mama. 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 Mom. 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 Mommy. 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 Mommy! What? Hi. <laughs> While I deal with this quantum freak, you can enjoy the antics of another one. Fist your peepers topside, Muhammad Abdul. It's Freakazoid, scouring the city for trouble. Bless his shiny red suit. Then later, in the great time of leanness, my race was driven forth onto the plain of vastness, whereby Lothgar the ill-postured was made king of the people with no name but decent footwear. Listen, I'm trying to work. If you quit talking, I'll give you a Pez dispenser. Okay. Ah! Don't do that! We just heard a report about Air Force One. Its landing gear is as stuck as a canned ham. How bad is the situation, General Odin? Well, it's hard to know, sir. The pilot just bailed. Ooh-wee. Sure sounds scary. Say, who exactly is flying the plane? Well, uh, everyone is, sir. Legu! I've got a plan. Can I fly too? Why don't you just go see instead? People, people who fly airplanes are the happiest people. 
Could it possibly get any worse? me, Mr. President, you do not want to go out there. Woo! Freakazoid. At your service, sir. You've nothing to fear but fear itself. And this aircraft crashing in flames. But that won't happen with me on the job. Then again, I am the only one here wearing a little jetpack. Huh? Excuse me, sir, but the fuel is dangerously low. This bird is going down. I don't pop your stars. Everyone knows you don't have to worry till that little fuel light starts blinking. By the way, anybody got a bag of those yummy honey glazed nuts? Uh, uh, sorry, we're, we're, we're all out. I'm sorry. Yeah, a big monster ate them. Fine. Maybe I forgot how to heroically repair an aircraft in mid-flight during a terrible storm. The guys in prime time could have had this show, but no, they had better ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> better than a thigh master. <laughs> Once again, Freakazoid makes history! There's something kinda new. A vortex that likes honey-roasted nuts. I know this looks bad, but I think I'm gonna escape. To myself. Cut Dexter out of the main title. Bye bye. Hey, what is this place? Palm trees? Hula girls? Pineapples? Hula girls? Surfboards? Hula girls? Hula girls? Hula girls? Of course, it all adds up. I've somehow landed in Norway. Zoids, Pearl Harbor. Hey, those ships look like they came from World War II. Oh my gosh, can it be? Yes, yes, it's Kate Smith here to entertain the troops. Somehow I've gone back in time. I'm in Hawaii. It's the 1940s. All men wear hats. What gives? One day, while saving Air Force One, Teen superhero Freakazoid was unexpectedly swept into both a time warp vortex and a TV show parody. From that point on, and until the segment ends, Freakazoid is lost in time. He is Quantum Freak.
Oh, okay, now I get it. All right, okay, I see what you're doing. This is a play on the show where people would go back in time. The quantum, I can't say it or I'd be sued, but this is very humorous. I'm reading on and there's good stuff coming. Good stuff. I'm laughing on the inside. Good stuff. Oh, fudge! Torpedo planes heading this way. I know what you're thinking. Where did he get those snazzy binoculars? <laughs> well, guess what? They can be yours in the next 60 minutes for the one-time only price of $49.95. That's not all, right, Joan? Oh, oh, oh. Can we freak? Look what else you get. This adorable 14-karat gold binocular strap, which I designed myself between jokes. Sorry, Joan. I gotta cut you off right there, because in about 10 seconds, Pearl Harbor's gonna get trashed, thus beginning World War II, and only I can stop them. But if I do, I will alter the course of future history. Do I really want that responsibility on my shoulders? Hey, who's gonna know? To Destiny! Hello, Destiny! I was seeing your friend, Duty. He says very bad things about you! Have I got time for another gawking at the girls through binoculars gag? I like those. Cooler girls! for the Don Ho Show. Now listen up. I want one line right here. We're checking for fruits, vegetables, and torpedoes. Did you hear? They're checking for fruit. And I run amongst some grapes. Fool! I do it. Ha! How do I save a president and avert World War II all in one day? Well, it's not easy, but a high-fat diet of starch, sugar, and a big bag of salt really helps. Ah! Do I dare go back? Do I dare see what freak hath wrought? Okay. Doesn't look like I changed doodly fudge. Things look pretty much like the old... Wait a second! Sharon Stone in Macbeth? Here's the smell of the blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Oh! She's good. She's really good. Sharon Stone can act! Alms for the poor, suffer the little children. Remember, you can never give enough. Good heavens, it's Rush Limbaugh. He's become a real bleeding heart liberal. And look, Euro Disney is packed. Cold Fusion works. No Chevy Chase movies. Check it out. The world is a better place. And all it took was one tiny trip through time. what else I've changed. Situation is critical, Mr. President. Fuel's low and the pilot just bailed. How distressing. Might I inquire as to whom is piloting the aircraft? <laughs> Zork! 
boys and girls and everything in between. That's all we have time for for our first Quantum Deep cartoon cavalcade. We hope that you take the time to look up the original Quantum Leap series, as it was truly a unique, thought-provoking, heartwarming, and completely entertaining show. We would like to thank the creators of The Simpsons, Freakazoid, Robot Chicken, and of course, Family Guy, for helping keep this amazing work of art alive in the hearts of Leapers young and old. And Seth MacFarlane, we'll see you in court. Alright ladies, the next episode of Quantum Leap is Southern Comforts. Isn't it interesting that in the space of three episodes, they do two episodes about prostitution? Actually, it kind of is. I, I like that the, um, you said there was a different, uh, the different way of putting this in Australia. What is it, sex workers? Yeah, I'm pretty getting, much I, the, the sex industry yeah, and sex I, workers. I like the fact that they are not por- portrayed in a negative light because... As I pointed out in the the other episode that we discussed, Sam mentioned it in the right hand of God. This is a profession. It it does not make you a bad person. It was nice to see that they weren't portrayed that way. Definitely. And now, I'll admit I'm not talking from experience here, but this is how I imagine things in the licensed brothels would go, where the women are in charge, the women control what is and isn't allowed. And ultimately, the women are in charge of their own lives and ultimately are much happier than they would be if they had to do it in a not-as-safe environment and without any protections. Plus, you get to love how New Orleans uh, popped up every now and then in the series. Kind of a wink nod to the future. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll be very interested to hear Zoe's thoughts about Southern Comforts because I know that Zoe... You're more towards the side against prostitution, which you're allowed to be. So I'll be very interested to hear what some of your thoughts are. I have to rewatch the episode. I haven't seen it in a really long time, so I've completely forgotten what the whole storyline is about, actually. Uh, Okay. Also tackling a very big issue, uh, domestic violence. I think this is the third episode in the series where they've tackled that issue. Once again, with doing a very good job of portraying it and making us feel very uncomfortable when it takes place and definitely makes us want to stand up and ensure it doesn't happen. Well, I reckon that's a good place for us to finish. Leslie, you're in charge of our musical number. What have you chosen for us? Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Oh, that's a good song. Definitely fits well with the um, conservationist theme of Captain Planet. Absolutely. Until next time. I'm Zoe. I'm Leslie. And I'm Hayden. And going to Macca's for a salad is like going to the brothel for a hug. They paved paradise, put up a parking lot. With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got Till it's gone They pay paradise Put up a parking lot Oh, ba 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 Oh, ba 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 ba
up to call the trees, put them in a tree museum. And they charge the people an arm and a leg just to see them. Don't it always seem to go, but you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Hey, paradise, put up a parking lot. Hey, farmer, farmer, put away the DDT now. Give me spots on my apples, and leave me the birds and the bees. Please, don't it always seem to go, but you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Hey, paradise, put up a parking lot. Late last night, I heard the screen door slam. And a big yellow taxi took away my old man. seem to go, but you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. I said, don't it always seem to go, but you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Hayden, Leslie, and Zoe. With contributions from Zoe Dean, Leslie Wenzel, Jesse Newman, and Hayden McQueen. Special thanks to Stewie Griffin and Lois Griffin. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. This episode has been edited by Hayden. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis, Juan Murrow, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Barren Space production. <laughs>